This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. That was so powerful. Thank you, Tim. Um, and I also echo what Jim said. Thank you for being here on, on days like this when you have uh, retreats, when you have spring break, when you have time change. You wonder, is any going, anybody going to be here? And you made it, uh, even though we miss a lot of our people, yet you're here. Thanks for um, investing in spiritual things this morning and uh, worshiping with us. This is week number four, and the final lesson in our series, Let It Go. And if you're just tagging in today, it's going to be not difficult to uh, get plugged in, but anyway, this is the fourth week. Uh, The first week we talked about how to overcome the daily temptations to get offended over those fairly minor things that come our way. And and, and frankly, without offending you, but we are a thin-skinned society. We we get offended so easily. Um, a, A little disagreement, a little criticism, our kid getting in trouble at school, somebody not talking to us at church, Or calling our kid down for misbehaving causes us to become offended. And and I I remember back um, quite a few years ago when we were still in our old sanctuary there and had a balcony and there were some kids that were sitting in the balcony and their parents were down below. Those kids were having a grand old party upstairs in the balcony. Then the parents couldn't see them, but being up front preaching, I could see them. And it wasn't on a Sunday morning, so it wasn't like we had 400 people there. But their behavior got so bad to where I finally called them down. And maybe I was wrong in doing this. I don't know. Sometimes in situations like that, you just react out of frustration. But I was kind, but I just asked them to come down and and sit with their parents. And Lord, have mercy on me. Because I needed the mercy of the Lord that day. There was fire on the mountain. I about lost my job. And maybe I didn't handle it the right way. But, but at least I didn't do what I heard one pastor. And I know this pastor. There were kids misbehaving. And he put them over his knee and spanked the living daylights. Not the living daylights. But, but spanked those kids there in church. And so uh, I've never done that here. Just so you know, I wanted to. In fact, sometimes I've even wanted to spank some of the adults here with a bullwhip, but but I haven't done that either. But all of that to say, we are a very easily offended society. That was week number one. Week number two in this series took us to a significantly deeper level of hurt. And we talked about those offenses when, when someone, maybe it was a spouse, that they betrayed us, they cheated on us. It just kind of ripped our heart out. Those types of hurts go clear to the bone. They're not easy to let go of. Last week, week number three, we talked about forgiving God. Now, I know there's nothing about that statement that sounds right because God is perfect. He never does anything wrong. He never sins. But there are people that think God has not been fair to them. They're mad at God. But remember that statement we made that God is not always fair. And you need to be grateful for that. If he were always fair, you would have been sentenced to hell a long time ago. The wages of sin is what? 
death, and we're sinners, and so we deserve death. So God is not always fair, but remember, He is always just. Today, as we wrap wrap up our series, this is a tough one for me to preach. We're going to talk about forgiving the person that, at least for me, is the most difficult person to forgive, and that's me, myself, and I. How do you forgive yourself when you really can't blame anyone else? You're the guilty one. How do you forgive yourself when you know what you said was wrong? You know what you did was wrong. And there are many ways this plays out. Maybe earlier in life you, you stepped out on your wife or husband and you can't stop beating yourself up over it. And, and for some of you, maybe it resulted in divorce. For others of you, they forgave you, but you can't let go of your guilt. Or, or, or perhaps one night you drank too much. And by the way, so many wrong things are done under the influence of alcohol. That the chance of affairs, immorality, the chance of crimes taking place are greatly increased when you are under the influence of alcohol or drugs. There's a married couple, and they're a real couple. We'll give them the fictitious names of Jack and Sue. They've been married over 30 years. Jack has been unfaithful several times to Sue. Sue knows it. And she has said this. She said, every time he has been unfaithful, it has happened while under the influence of alcohol. When he's sober, he's faithful. A couple of weeks ago, I was leaving uh, to come to the church office at my normal time. It was dark between 6 and 6.30 in the morning. And, and as I pulled out to 32 to, to go north on, on 32, I, I looked down and just a lot of activity was coming towards me. And, and so I just paused there a moment. And uh, there was one lone car and it was being pursued. Now remember, that it was dark, 6 to 6.30 in the morning. It was being pursued by six cars, uh, sheriff's deputies. And they were all, they all had their lights blazing, their sirens screaming. And I learned later on that um, they were doing about 80 miles an hour going in front of my house. And, um, and, and I learned this later on too, what, what had taken place, I guess this, this pursuit, this chase had started near Osceola, and they, they wound around country roads, county roads, and uh, ended up being an 80-mile pursuit, and so little by little, all of these sheriff's deputies were joining in, and it was quite a convoy when, when, when they came by, and when they came by my house, this car that they were pursuing uh, had, had a blown, uh, blown tire, and so it was on the rim, so it was just had three good tires, still doing 80 miles an hour, clipping along at a, at a pretty good pace, and so went out towards Stockton, and, and the bridge near Stockton, it got off on a country road and eventually crashed. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is that um, this person was impaired. Many things that, that people regret in their past, many, many dumb things that, that people do, takes place while they're impaired under the influence, and regrets are still there because of that. Well, maybe some of you feel good about yourself right now because you've never poured a drink of alcohol in your life, but perhaps where you're guilty is that under the noble reason of, of taking care of your family, you did what a lot of people do. You poured yourself 
into work. You know, I know, I know a lot of good and godly people that work their main job. When they get off work, they go work on their farm or maybe some other side jobs and, and their motives are good. They, they want to be a good provider. They want to make sure that their family's taken care of, make sure that their retirement is fully funded. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens so many times is that these people who have invested so much time in their multiple jobs, at some point, here's what happens. Listen, they find themselves disconnected. Sometimes disconnected from their kids, or if not disconnected from their kids, they find themselves disconnected from their spouse. And, and what's sad is many people don't connect the dots here. They, they don't realize that what their spouse is saying of them working too much is It's really true, and they keep thinking, well, my spouse is just jealous of my time. They're just cranky. But what they've done is they've sacrificed intimacy in their marriage on the altar of just having a little bit more. And the problem is we don't get reruns. We don't get an opportunity to raise our family again. And many times we don't even get do-overs with our spouse. The, the damage has been done, intimacy has been broken, the marriage may continue, but the closeness is gone. Or, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the clicking, you know, looking at things you shouldn't look at. And, and you really do love God. And, and, and if you're married, you really do love your spouse, but you're held captive to lustful images. And, and you keep going back to those websites over and over again. And you live under a cloud of shame and guilt. So what do you do when you've messed up and you can't seem to forgive yourself? You can't seem to let go of the guilt. Well, one thing I want to point out before we get to Scripture is that not all guilt is created equal. There's what I call a false guilt. And and this is a sense of guilt that people many times take on when they shouldn't. For example, many times children or teenagers or even adults feel guilty for the divorce of their parents, and they believe that it was their fault, or at least partially their fault. Parents, if you've been involved in in a breakup in your marriage, I'm not here to make you feel worse than you already feel, but I would beg of you to make sure that your children know that it was not their fault. Even if this happened years ago, communicate with them. Let them know that they did not cause this in any way help them to release that false guilt. Another example, tragically, I I come across people who were victims of someone they trusted and loved, but they were taken advantage of, maybe physically or emotionally or verbally. And often the victim feels shame because they're made to think it was their fault. And then many times, uh, men, this is for you, I found wives carrying a lot of confusing emotions and, and even some guilt because of our nature to be controlling and manipulative. Men, we don't realize it. And remember last week I said you can't cast the dude out of us. We're always going to be dudes, and we say dumb things, and we're, we're insensitive. But more than likely, men, you are in some way a manipulator and a controller, and, and more than likely you will deny it if your wife ever accuses you of it. But many times this causes guilt because our wives feel they can never measure up. Or or sometimes there's guilt that we carry because 
because a friend or a relative tries to hurt themselves or at times will even take their own life and they will leave a note and say, this is your fault. I'm doing this. You need to carry this. And these people carry that guilt for the rest of their lives. In fact, this happened recently to someone in our community and someone who was in this church last week. Don't ever buy into the devil's game of shaming you with false guilt. The devil is the father of lies, and he tries to get us to believe his lies. So don't fall prey to false guilt. But today I want to talk to you about real guilt. How should we respond to the guilt that comes about because we truly did something or said something wrong? Well, there are two men in the Bible that we're going to study. One man dealt with his guilt in the right way. The other dealt with it in the wrong way. Now, both of these men essentially did the same thing. They they both, in their own way, betrayed Christ. You'll recognize both names. The first man was named Peter, and his name means rock. He betrayed Christ three times by, by denying that he even knew him. The second man, you'll recognize his name as well. His name was Judas. Remember, he betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Now, before we get to their particular stories, let me lay the foundation with a great scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And, and we're going to be in, in, in several different, different scriptures this morning, 2 Corinthians 7, Matthew 26, Luke 22. Uh, as much as you can, stay up in, in your Bibles. The setting for these verses in 2 Corinthians is that the Apostle Paul, probably in the year 50, maybe 51, maybe 52 AD, he spent about 18 months in the city of Corinth and started a church there. Well, after the church was established, in typical fashion, this is what he always did, Paul moved on to another city to start another church. Well, after being gone, sometime word got back to him about some happenings at the church Uh, at the church of Corinth that were not good. So he wrote some letters back to the church at Corinth, Corinth, and and we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We have those two letters that were preserved as part of Scripture. But more than likely, there were other letters that were written that got lost. But as Paul heard that disturbing news, he wrote a letter and evidently showed some tough love and, 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 and said some things that were tough for him to say and said some things that were equally tough for them to read. And listen to his emotions after he wrote the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. And then he goes on and says, though I did regret it. So initially, Paul must have had second thoughts about the letter he had previously sent. And I, I know the feeling. Um, I've sent letters before trying to deal with sticky situations, thinking I'd done the right thing. But after, you know, I pressed send on email, and I wish sometimes you could get that back right away, and and I know there are some apps where you can, Um, but, you know, right away I thought, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have sent that, I wish I wouldn't have said this, and and so, so, so Paul must have regretted what he said in the letter, because it goes on and says that, I see that my letter hurt you. Paul loved the church people at Corinth, and the last thing he wanted to do was hurt them, but only for a little while, verse 9, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow, and and by the way, the word sorrow could also be translated guilt. 
Because your guilt led you to repentance. So his letter, even though it initially hurt them, it caused them to repent and change their ways. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And then in this next verse, we see one type of guilt, or or Paul calls it sorrow. Godly sorrow, so keep this in mind, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So, so, so godly sorrow, godly guilt, leaves no regrets. But then Paul talks about another type of sorrow or guilt, but worldly sorrow brings death. Today we want to spend the majority of our time talking about godly sorrow, godly guilt, because this type of guilt is a wonderful gift. It, it's a guilt that leaves no regrets. This is a sorrow or a guilt that says, I'm so sorry for what I did, I dishonored God. I hurt you, but I don't want to carry that guilt the rest of my life. I want to be forgiven, make changes, and not repeat this again. And of the two people we are referencing today, Peter is the one that illustrates this kind of godly sorrow. Now, most of you know Peter's story. And out of all the people in in, in Scripture, I can probably most closely relate to Peter Peter had a lot of good qualities, but on a dime, he could turn and say something dumb or do something that was dumber than dumb. Again, he was a dude. In the scripture that we're going to read, one day, Peter was kind of bragging on himself. He was telling Jesus, you know, I'm committed to you. I I don't know about these other slackers around here, but but Jesus, you can count on me. I will always be faithful to you. Let's read this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I would never will. So, so maybe uh, Peter goes up to Jesus and, and, and gives him a bro hug. You know what a bro hug is? You shake hand and you wrap your other arm around him. That's a bro hug. Just, just your education here so that you know something. Um, I'll always be there for you, Jesus. You, you can't depend on very many people today. They're flakes. But you can count on me. And even if everybody else abandons you, I will be with you. But it's interesting because Jesus sees right through him. And he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, now Peter doesn't see that flaw in himself because he's got good intentions. He means well. And, and Peter's decided to follow Jesus. And so he said, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You know, I've truly decided to follow you. And, and again, he emphasizes how committed he is. In verse 35, Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Well, you know exactly what happened. Jesus gets arrested. A teenage girl walks up to Peter and says, hey, weren't you one of the guys that was with Jesus? And, and Peter's like, who? Jesus? I, I don't know who you're talking about. Well, shortly after that, another woman comes up to him and basically says the same thing. Hey, I think you're with Jesus. And, and Peter's like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. I was home watching TV or whatever. Well, we read where a third person confronts Peter in Luke 22, verse 59. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. In other words, your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. I just know you are part of that group. In Luke chapter 22, verse 60, Peter replied, man, 
I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. What happens next? Well, something happens that probably many of us have never really paid much attention to. After Peter denies Jesus a third time, and the rooster crows, look what verse 61 says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Busted. I don't think it was a dirty look. That's what we would have done. You know the saying, if looks could kill? That's what we would have done. I don't think it was a dirty look. I I think it was a look of compassion. Maybe mixed with a little bit of hurt. Because remember, Jesus was fully human. There had to be some hurt. And that look caused Peter to remember back to what Jesus had told him. Because it goes on and says, Peter, remember the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. There was the look. He remembered what Jesus said. And what does Scripture say? He went outside and wept bitterly. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed in yourself like Peter was? You had the best intentions. You decided, I'll never do that again. I will never look at pornography again. But you did. Or you say, I'll never say that bad word again. But in a moment of anger, you did. Or you promise yourself that you'll always, and then you don't. Or you promise yourself that you will never, but you do. And every time you think, why can't I do better? Why am I such a failure? How, how can God love me, someone that messes up so much? Well, the moment you begin thinking like that, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. And, and, and the moment you begin dwelling on the thought that I'm no good, I'm a failure, all I do is disappoint people, all I do is disappoint God. When you begin to think like that, the devil has lured you into his playground of shame. And I want to point out the difference between a godly sorrow or or godly guilt and shame. Godly sorrow says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And and, and I know what the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. But but Satan wants to make us think that we will always be rotten through and through and, and there's no hope that we can ever change. And he tries to connect our actions with our identity and make us think that we're pathetic, we're worthless. God can never use us again after what we thought or after what we said or after what we did. And, you know, we'll never be able to have a great marriage. And our kids will never honor and respect us. We can never leave a great legacy. And you can almost imagine the shame that the devil was heaping on Peter as he wept. Just, just try to put yourself there. Peter is weeping and shame is washing over him. And the devil is saying, Peter, you blew it. I mean, you were bragging to Jesus how committed you were, yet you denied him three times. And to top it off, Peter, Jesus saw you. 
This wasn't like a rumor. You were busted. And he looked you right in the eye. Your integrity is shot. Your ministry is over. Peter, you are done. Hit the road. Your damaged goods. The devil always wants to use your guilt to drive you away from God. But know this, God wants to use your guilt to draw you to himself. In our scripture, Paul talked about godly sorrow that brings repentance and leaves no regret. Let's, uh, let's leave Peter's story just for a moment, and we'll come back there because we've got to finish the story. It's a great ending here, but let's talk about Judas for just a moment. Again, Judas and Peter essentially did the same thing. They, they both betrayed Jesus. Judas uh, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which at that time was the going rate. You would buy a slave for about 30 pieces of, of silver. So he went for the rate of a slave. And, uh, and after he led the religious leaders, after Judas re- led the religious leaders and soldiers to Jesus, which Jesus was at his, probably his favorite getaway place, spending some quiet time in prayer, led them there. Once the religious leaders had Jesus in hand and and Judas saw them arrest him, guilt came flooding over Judas as well. And Matthew chapter 27 gives us some insight. It says that he he took the the 30 pieces of of silver back to the the chief priest and said, I betrayed an innocent man. I want to undo this thing. Here's the money back. And those priests said, too late, buddy. That's on you. And, And the Bible says that Judas, so full of guilt, took the 30 pieces of silver that the chief priest wouldn't take back he went to the temple and the bible says he threw the 30 pieces of silver inside the temple and 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 so remember our scripture in second corinthians godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but there is also worldly sorrow worldly guilt that brings death And that's the type of sorrow that Judas had. The Bible says that Judas, feeling overwhelmed with guilt and shame, thinking he could never face Jesus again, thinking he could never be used by Jesus again, he went out and took his life, personally illustrating that worldly sorrow brings death. All right, let's come back to Peter's story and find out what happened. We, we left him, remember? He went outside. Jesus looked him in the eye. He went outside, and he wept bitterly. But thankful, uh, thankfully, unlike Judas' sorrow, we find that Peter had a godly sorrow that brought repentance. And what is repentance? Listen, repentance is simply changing directions. God, I'm sorry. I acknowledge that I've sinned. I'm not making excuses. I was wrong. It's on me but I want to change and do better. And we see how this played out in the life of Peter. After his resurrection, Jesus shows up in a surprise visit. It's a great story. I think, uh, was it Jim or someone preached a message on this in the last uh, two, three, four weeks ago. Cooks breakfast after the resurrection for the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was kind of a surprise visit. 
And after they ate in John chapter 21, verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, how much do you love me? Am I truly number one in your life? Let me tell you what Peter didn't say. Peter didn't say, well, Lord, I do love you, but I'm so filled with guilt and I messed up so badly. I just can't receive your grace. Now, John, he, you know, uh, your, your grace may be enough for John, but it isn't enough for me. And I, I, I'm too bad to be restored back to you. I guess I'm destined to be a failure the rest of my life. Peter didn't say that. Here's what Peter really said. Jesus said, do you truly love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you? And, and reading between the lines, maybe I, didn't, you know, I don't know why I denied you. I don't know what happened to me. I, I thought I was strong, but I, obviously I was, and I'm so sorry, but I do love you. And how did Jesus respond? Well, let me tell you how Jesus did not respond first. He did not say, Peter, you really hurt me. I mean, I, I thought we were tight. And you denied me not, not once, and not, not twice, but, but three times. And I, I was devastated when I heard that come from your lips. And, and Peter, I'm sorry, but you're going to spiritual timeout. And I want you to wallow in your guilt because you're now going to hell where the worm never dies. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus didn't say any of that. When, when Peter said that he really did love him, here's what Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And here's what he was saying, Peter, you're forgiven. Now go do my will. I've called you. I've called you to go minister to the hurting. Finish what I've called you to do. Finish the race. I don't know what kind of guilt you're holding on to today. Maybe it's something you didn't do years ago that you should have done. Maybe it's something you did that you shouldn't have done. Maybe it was that abortion. You can't seem to let go of that guilt. I remember one, several years ago, I referenced this matter of abortion, and within a week, there were five different abortions, ladies that talked to me about, that they'd had, couldn't let go of the guilt. Maybe it was that affair that you still can't forgive yourself for. Maybe it was the lie that you told that required you to tell another lie just to get out of that lie and then tell another lie to get out of that lie. And you've been a living lie since then. Maybe it was a felony crime that's still on your record. Whatever it is, and if you've been texting or daydreaming, whatever, would you please listen? If you've confessed it to Jesus, if you've repented and turned from it, it's time to let it go. You know, God's Word says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. Catch it. Will forgive us 
our sins. And listen to this, purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, all unrighteousness? Does that mean drunkenness? All unrighteousness. Does that mean immorality? All unrighteousness. Does that mean past abortions? All unrighteousness. Does that mean homosexuality? All unrighteousness. If we have godly sorrow and repent and and turn from our sin, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And don't let the pain of the past rob you from God's calling for your future. No, you cannot change your past. And unfortunately, at times, there are consequences. But the good news is that God can change your future. You can't change the past. God can change the future. Anytime the devil brings up your past, just remind yourself he's bringing up your past because he's intimidated by your future. So, um, you did something that you wish you hadn't done? Let it go. You betrayed someone? Let it go and spend the rest of your life being faithful. You got hooked on something that you wish you weren't hooked on? Get some help. Live and walk in freedom. Help others find that same freedom. You work too much? Neglected your spouse? You lost that intimacy? Make some adjustments. Rebuild. Let it go. And one more thing, and this means so much to me. This is just, if you want a picture of of Jesus, of, of God's mercy, listen to this. Do you know who God chose to be the guest speaker at Pentecost when God poured out his spirit? It wasn't someone who had been squeaky clean all of their lives. It wasn't someone who had always been faithful. It was someone who had been forgiven. God chose Peter. And what was Peter's message? It's very simple. Peter said, repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Call on the name of Jesus. You'll be saved. You will be forgiven. So the question I want to leave you with this morning before we hit out of here is, it's it's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Of course, your answer is going to be, oh yeah, yeah, I love him. Really? Do you? Do you really love Jesus? You say, well, yes. Okay, if you do, go do His will. Get out of your addictions. Turn away from any willful sinning that you're involved in. Stop living just for yourself. Do you love him? 
Oh, yes. Do you really, really love him? Then go do his will. So I don't know what that means for you this week. I don't know. I know it means letting go of your past guilt. If you've been involved, guilty of things that have been forgiven, you've repented, you've turned, changed directions, I know it means that you'll let it go. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the other stuff, if you're involved in some sin right now, you know, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out with you, but I know if you want to turn from your sin with God's help, He will give you the strength to do so. So as we wrap up this series here, again, let it go. Would you bow your heads, please? Nobody looking. Is there someone that would say, Pastor, God has really spoken to me. I I just need some extra prayer right now. Is there anybody? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. God has really spoken to me. Thank you. Lord Jesus, sometimes we're so full of shame. Sometimes, Lord, we're we're on both sides of the spectrum. We, We do bad things and we don't feel any guilt. There's no sorrow at all. And God, would you give sorrow? Would you give guilt? But then, Lord, sometimes whenever it's been forgiven, you've cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We still suffer under just the guilt, the regrets. What if or what if I wouldn't have? And Lord, sometimes we just live under a cloud of shame and the devil keeps us enslaved. Those are chains that bind us and we can't really get out from under that cloud. I pray that this week there would be some people that would be able to get out from under the cloud of guilt. That they would, because they've turned, they've repented, I pray that they would be able to release that guilt. And then, Father, that question that you asked, that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Lord, as we've asked that this morning, if our answer is yes, I pray that we would go out and do your will. And if that means to leave some willful sin, I pray that we would be willing to do that. God, I pray that as your children, you would give us freedom, freedom in Christ Jesus. God, we know we're not perfect, but thank you that we can be forgiven. Lord, thank you that you're not just looking for perfect specimens in a museum, but Lord, You've called us as a church to be a hospital for those who are messed up and sick and hurting. And I pray that we would show Jesus, the great physician that can heal the wounds and the hurts. God, help us to be your hands and feet as that is done. Go with us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.